On today's episode of Mind Reading Marketing, I'm chatting with Melissa Harstein. Melissa is a mind reader, but not the clairvoyant kind. She uses her research and interview superpowers to find out what customers actually care about and how they make buying decisions. These insights can help businesses refine their services, have better sales conversations, and develop more strategic email campaigns, website copy, and content marketing that speaks to the heart of their audience. Today, we're going over exactly how to find dream clients, how to get them to chat with you, and how to create website copy and marketing language that's going to have them begging to work with you. So let's jump in. Hi, I'm Isabel Kateman, and I own Stripe Dog Creative. We build beautiful brands and highly strategic websites for six-figure online service providers and course creators looking to reach seven figures and beyond. I'm excited to have you here for the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast, where we let go of the bullshit and deliver valuable information quickly. From practical marketing strategy to self-care for CEOs, tune in each week to go deep on one specific topic and get actionable advice you can use to grow your business even further. Let's jump in. And Melissa, thank you so much for being here today on the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast. Hey, thanks, Isabel. Super excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. So obviously, you know, we do a little recorded intro first, but why don't you just tell us in your own words a little bit about what you do? Because I I think I told you this when we first met, but I had never really heard someone that did this in this specific way and was so focused on it. And yet it is so important when it comes to businesses and understanding your consumers and speaking to them in the right way. So just just tell us a little bit about how you got started and what you do. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I am a customer research consultant that is such a specific micro niche. I actually started my career as a journalist, you know, so that's kind of the connection there. I love doing interviews and connecting with people and, you know, understanding people whose lives are so much different than my own. I also worked in copywriting and marketing for a while, but the reason why I chose to, to ch- I chose this micro niche about a year ago, just only do customer research is that I noticed that, you know, a lot of, you know, big multi-million dollar corporate companies, they have budgets. They're doing customer research all the time. Same thing for like SaaS and tech. But not a lot of service providers or online, you know, business owners are doing this. And I think it's so important to understand, you know, what is it that your audience really wants? Who are your best customers? How do they describe their needs, their wants, and their own words? You know, what's going to motivate them to buy? Those are the things that can help us work a lot smarter in our business and not just harder and just improve everything from like sales conversations to website conversions to, you know, just overarching larger business strategy. I think customer research is a tool that can have a positive impact in almost every area of a business. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And so let's just talk a little bit about what customer research is and how it can be so helpful or why it's so important for service-based businesses. At its most basic level, customer research is just talking to your audience, to your customers to understand who are they? You know, what are what do they want? What do they care about? What are their personalities? What's their lifestyle? What are their businesses like? And these are the types of insights, as I mentioned earlier, that can really make your marketing, your sales conversations more effective. I think especially like, you know, as a business is growing, you get to that point that you're hiring contractors, you're hiring a team member, you're investing in some, you know, masterminds, some advanced education, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I need to make more sales (laughs) and have more leads coming into my pipeline so that I can continue investing in these things that are going to help my business grow. And I think that customer research can be really valuable in that stage of business in particular, because it can 
kind of, like I said, hone your marketing message so that it's speaking to the right people on a really like deep level, like, you know, like a mind reader, like, oh my gosh, you get me, you know, did you secretly like rip a page out of my journal and, uh, you know, blast it on this website? Like that's how you create those mind reading moments is through customer research and having these conversations with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I love your phrasing there too, because I know you use that phrasing. I use that phrasing as well. Like that is, that's the best moment, especially, you know, you're talking in marketing in general, but especially when I'm doing website copy, the moment where you get someone, you know, who signed up to work with you and they are like, man, I was just reading your website. And I felt like you were in my head. Like, I felt like you were just reading my mind. And I was like, how does she know all of these things about me? And it's like, that's the best feeling. And everyone thinks that it's sort of magical. Like the people who managed to do that have managed to just actually like read people's minds or, or tap into something that's so beyond them or unknown, but really it's not rocket science. It's like actually just about doing exactly what you do with your clients. And so I think it's, it's so important. And I'm excited to have this conversation to sort of demystify, I think newer business owners who aren't as familiar with this, especially go on those websites and they're like, but but how, how did they know that? And so I think that's, that's really awesome. And so before we get into identifying the types of people you should be speaking to and the questions that you're asking them, is there the right time that you see doing this? I mean, obviously the people listening to this probably already have a business. So it's a little late in terms of like, before you start your business, but if they're, you know, for example, launching a new service, do you recommend some sort of timeline or some sort of lead time? That's sort of the best to be able to maximize the information that you're getting. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you hit on something that's important, Isabel, is that when you're launching a new service, this customer research is particularly important. Or, you know, if you have an existing service or a product that you're wanting to start offering to a new audience, you know, for example, I recently worked with uh, Jordan Gill at the Done in a Day program. I think she was a recent guest on your podcast. Yeah. But they've had this messaging that has been working for them so well for the last two or three years for their program. And all of a sudden they noticed we're starting to attract a different type of business owner to our program who has different needs. And we don't really understand what that is. You know, we have kind of a fuzzy idea, but we don't know for sure. And so that's when they said, hey, Melissa, can you do this customer research and find out, you know, who is this new audience that we're trying to serve? And so, you know, whether you're launching a new service or just targeting your current service to a new audience, it's important to start in particular before the copywriting phase. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that people see. I see people do is it's like, okay, I'm ready to write a sales page. Can we get it done in like four weeks? But the problem is that really great copywriters and great researchers I'm going to spend at least two to four weeks, you know, before they ever write a single word, trying to understand who is this audience? Who is it the best fit for? You know, I, I think a really poignant example from my own work is last winter, I was working on a project for a dentist who also has an online brand now. And he wanted to create a course about how do you start and grow a Facebook group and make money from it from day one. And he was so excited. You know, he's he's getting ready to speak at this upcoming conference for digital marketers. And he's like, this is, you know, everybody's going to love this. He outlined the course. He hired a videographer. He hired a website design person. You know, he made all this really great content and like beautiful things. And then he's like, okay, let's write the sales page. And we're like, no, 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 like let's back up and just make sure that this offer is actually on target, you know, and what in what's included in the program and you know who your who your ideal audience is. Through the course of that research, we found out that these digital marketers in particular, his second audience, they're like, 
I hated this course. It was so basic that I didn't even learn anything from it. It's so basic that my VA couldn't even use it. And there was like one video at the very end that was just two to three minutes about how to monetize your Facebook group with affiliates and sponsorships. And I was like left hungry for more. That's what I needed to know. That's what I really wanted. And so we were so nervous to go back to the client and say, hey, you need to rethink everything after you've already spent all this time and money and energy you know, on these creative assets. But we really think you're going to be a lot more successful if you kind of change this up. And he was, you know, he was so thankful. He's like, thank you for telling me, you know, I've, I've done research in other areas of my business. I just never occurred to me to do research for this course. And so... I was like a month out from this conference, you know, where he was planning to launch this new program to digital marketers. And he's like, okay, I'm going to rethink this. I'm going to do a masterclass instead. And I'm only going to do, do it on the monetization piece of a Facebook group. And it sold like hotcakes, you know, people loved it, but just imagine, you know, if he'd stood up on that stage and said, Hey, I've got this course, how to start and grow Facebook program. And nobody bought it or like people bought it and they all asked for refunds because it was just not what they needed, right? That's why customer research is so important, especially early on, you know, before you ever write a word of copy, before you hire a designer or, you know, another creative person, you've got this idea, you've got this hypothesis, you think, you know, who it's going to be a good fit for, go do the research, talk to people and confirm your gut. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's such, that's such a funny story, but I'm glad that it like worked out. You were making me nervous that he like went to this conference and tried to sell it. So I'm glad you guys guys got to him at least a month before he launched it. But yeah, super, super important. And I think too, to your point there as well, that not only is it just good for getting people to, you know, be excited about it, but it also equates to sales because they are excited about it. So they want to buy. So this is literally sort of guaranteeing ahead of time that you're going to have sales because you've talked to the people and you know exactly what they're looking for. And so as long as you're offering them exactly what they're looking for, why wouldn't they buy it? Exactly. And I know we're going to get into more of this later, you know, as far as like how to do the research and some of the things to ask and stuff, you know, I always recommend when you're sending out those invites, make it really clear. This is not a sales pitch. Like I'm not just talking to you because I want to sell you something. And also a lot of times, as you mentioned, Isabel, that kind of happy outcome is that people are so excited about it that after the fact, you know, when they see it on your social media, they read it in your newsletter. They're like, I do want to buy this. This is great. This is what I need. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, let's, let's jump into the details. And so first, you know, let's say, let's sort of take the scenario and work this through of like, you're launching a new service, for example, how do you identify the people that you should be speaking to? Yeah. So I think it's great to start with what I call an ideal interview profile, kind of like an ideal client profile. They're just like thinking through who might the people be who would need the service. So here's a specific example. I was working with a brand strategist this spring and she was wanting to actually take her existing service and offer it to a new audience. And she's like, I want to work with small teams. I haven't really done that before, but I know that people who invest in my services with brand strategy are usually getting a new website and or a new visual brand around that same time. So when we were looking for people to interview, that's, that was our target. That was our ideal interview profile. You know, people that, you know, in the last six months or in the next six months were getting a new website or a visual rebrand. So if you know some of those like, you know, lead indicators in your own business, the types of services that people are investing in just before or just after you, that can kind of help you narrow in on people to talk to. Also, you know, you could go into your competitors' Facebook groups or Instagram group or whatever and just see who's chatting, see who's responding on some of those posts and send them a DM and say, hey, 
this isn't a sales pitch. I'm just trying to understand. I'm creating this new thing. Would you be up for chatting with me for just 30 minutes, low-key conversation? You know, maybe I'll give you a $50 gift card for your time. Sometimes those incentives can be helpful. But the other, the other really great place to find people to interview is just leverage your existing network. Like, who do you know who also serves these people, right? So if I was wanting to talk to people that were investing in website design before brand strategy, like I would ask you, Isabel, like, who do you know who's recently, you know, gotten help with brand strategy before they worked with you? Yeah, absolutely. Leveraging your existing network too is, is such a huge thing. And I think people people forget that they can do that too. I think they they sort of get in their head of like, I have to find them on social or I have to sort of find them completely on my own. And so I think that's a really great point. And so I know you touched on this, but one of the things I know I struggled with the most was just getting people to talk to me. You know, I've done this a few times, both with services and with the upcoming course that I'm launching. And I ended up having to incentivize people because it just, you know, even though I was said it, it's not a sales pitch and all this, it's like people's, you know, people's time is valuable. Time is valuable in general and, and it's hard. And so, you know, I know you mentioned a gift card, but do you have any other ways to either word the request in a certain way that really helps or incentivize people in a way that really sort of gets the people that you're wanting to talk to, to actually answer you and get on the phone with you? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to make a one-to-one request versus just like, you know, putting something out on Instagram stories like, hey, I'm planning out my content for the next three months. I want to make sure it's valuable for you. What do you want to learn, right? Because that just feels, I don't know. I think people feel cared for when, and, and like you care about, you're talking to them as an individual, you know, when you're sending out an email or a DM or whatever it is. So I think that's probably like the easiest way to get more yeses is just make it a one-to-one invite. But beyond that, you know, some of the things we already mentioned, like make it really clear, it is not a sales pitch. Um, just looking for your honest feedback. Another thing I like to do is actually include two to three of the questions that I'm going to ask during the interview. So people kind of know what to expect and can think about it a little bit ahead of time, you know, and and again, kind of know where the conversation is going. But I don't like to include more than just those two or three questions because otherwise, you know, people will overthink it or they'll just like tell you what they think you want to hear versus what they might actually want or think or believe or whatever. Yeah. And on that same point, and I'm curious for your opinion on this too, I know that in the past, when I've had clients do this and ask them to do this, they were like, well, can't I just send a survey? And one of the things I always say about writing website copy is that we speak more naturally than we write in general, because we're not overthinking it. We can't sort of see what we've already said. We can't go back. Do you find the same thing with these types of surveys? Like it's really great if you can get someone on the phone versus having them like fill out some sort of survey in writing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and beyond just people speaking, I guess, a little bit more candidly or naturally, you know, when we're just having a conversation versus in writing, I think there's, you know, these subtle nonverbal cues that come up in a conversation where you notice someone's facial expression, you know, all of a sudden they're getting really, really excited. And, you know, you kind of see them lean into the microphone, right? Like that's showing you that there's this moment of heightened emotion. And like this thing that they're talking about is really, really important to them, whether it's a positive or negative emotion or whatever. And then also I think, you know, there's an opportunity to ask really good follow-up questions and dig deeper when you're doing a conversation, an interview versus like a survey. And I think that's maybe one of the most valuable or important reasons for choosing interviews. Because it's like, if something is really interesting and you want to learn more, you can say, hey, tell me more about that. Can you give me a specific example of a time in your life where that was true? Or like you mentioned that you're struggling with this thing. Like what's at stake? Like if you don't find a solution, if you don't get something to help you with that, what's what's really at stake in your business or your life? You know, those follow-up questions are something you can't really do in a survey, but they're one of the benefits of interviews. 
Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so let's say in our example, you know, you've identified the people that you want to talk to, you found these people. How do you come up with the questions that you should be asking? And how do you ask them in a way to make sure that you're actually getting information that you want versus like a simple sort of yes or no answer? So I kind of like to think about an interview and, and writing questions in stages, you know, kind of before, during, after, like what was going on in their life or their business before they started searching for a solution like this, before they invested in a service or program, you know, what was their experience like once they found that solution, once they joined that course or you know, what do they hope it would be like, you know, if it's something new that you're offering and then kind of the, the after piece, you know, what is like life like now, what has changed, you know, what affirmed that this was the right solution for them. And so that kind of helps me not only pace the interview, but make sure that you're kind of getting that entire customer journey. One of the things I always love to start with is take me back to the day when you first realized that you wanted support with, you know, your Dubsado setup, what happened? What changed to make it a priority at that time? And the reason that question is so great when you start an interview is it's, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, taking the person like they there's a sensory experience happening where they can imagine themselves in that moment. You know, their their kids are screaming, you know, they're, I don't know, working late for the third night in a row after being gone on a vacation because all these inquiries came in or whatever it is. But it, it pulls up those sensory details that just make their response, um, I guess, a little bit more specific and concrete and vivid. Another thing I always like to do to wrap up the interview is to say, you know, is there anything else you would like to share with me? And then shut up <laughs> and just pause. And I feel like people usually go, oh, we've about covered all of it. But if I pause long enough and let them think about it for a beat, they'll be like, oh, wait, there's this one other, one other thing that I wanted to share with you. And oftentimes that ends up being like the most juicy, like most important thing that they've shared with me the whole day. And it just, you know, requires being patient and just giving them that, that time and that space. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that because I think one of the things that I feel like I've learned as a business owner to get the best result is getting comfortable with discomfort, especially in those moments. Like I hate awkward silences and hate awkward pauses. And I used to like jump in and fill those whenever I could, because it made me so uncomfortable. I find the same thing. Like when I do, you know, I start my process with doing a strategy call with clients and I'm sort of asking them things about their business, but I'm really sort of trying to go deeper and trying to really understand their why. And it's the same type of thing. I'll ask a question, you get like very surface level, but if I just sort of like pause and stop before the next question, they're like, they're, they sort of, you can see their eyes sort of thinking. And then they're like, oh, actually, you're like, well, I guess I never thought of it this way. And it's like, you really have to wait them out. But it is like, so like, I feel like in those moments, I'm like picking at my fingernail or like sitting on my hands because I'm like, this is so uncomfortable for me. Yeah. You know, and it's funny sometimes, you know, I'll ask a question early in the conversation and they'll, they'll just say like, I'm not really sure. And I'll be like, okay, that's fine. We can just move on. And later, later on, they'll say, hey, wait, I thought about that thing you mentioned earlier, right? It's just, it's interesting you know, I think especially if we're we're thinking on our toes, we're thinking in our moments, sometimes it's hard to come up with an answer. But if we do give people that time and that space, as you mentioned, you know, people will often say something that's really valuable and really useful. It just requires that patience and that, you know, discomfort or comfort with the awkwardness of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when you see people, obviously your business is doing this for people and helping people do this. But when people do this on their own, if they either can't afford to hire you or want to try it on their own, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when they try to do this themselves? I think that one thing is asking, how much would you pay for this? And that's often a loaded question because people just don't have enough context 
typically to know, especially if it's something new. And sometimes, you know, that question can just be skewed based on past experiences, you know, what they've paid for in the past. So I, I generally recommend just staying away from that question. I think another thing that comes up is people think that in order to be unbiased when they're doing an interview and get objective information, they can't show emotion or they can't, you know, insert themselves in the interview. And I've really found that by, you know, for example, like having some small talk before the interview begins kind of puts the other person at ease and makes them feel comfortable with me. You know, if they're laughing, I might laugh too. You know, I might say something like, oh, I hate when that happens. You know, that happened to my friend last week. Like people, I think, feel really uncomfortable talking about themselves for like 30 minutes. And you just have those moments of mirroring their emotions, of, you know, empathizing with them, of showing that you can relate, that you can understand. People are going to feel a lot more comfortable and be willing to open up and share a lot deeper things, even though you're a complete stranger. You don't even if you're talking with a past client, like they may be willing to go deeper if you just show a little bit of your, put a little bit of yourself into the conversation. So you don't have to be completely emotionless in order to be objective and good, get good insights. Yeah. I really like that tip too. And I think, I think a little bit of vulnerability always goes a really long way. Cause as you said, like people, they are sort of uncomfortable when it feels a little bit more interviewee, or if you're really trying to remain sort of stoic and just be like, okay, next question. Like it's a little bit cold and it's not as inviting. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's definitely a great point. And so I know we talked about this a little bit in terms of like the clients being like, I can't believe you've read my mind, but now that you have these amazing juicy insights, how do you really take them and sort of use that in your marketing or craft that, you know, into, a service or an opportunity that's really going to serve people well. And I like to say, like, have people begging to work with you. You know, I, here's, here's an example from a conversation I had with my friend, Brittany, a few weeks ago, she's an accountant. And she told me that one of her clients said, you Marie Kondo'd my bookkeeping. (laughs) And I just loved it. I was like, Brittany, you have to use that as your website, like homepage headline. Cause that phrase, like it's so vivid. It's so unexpected. Like no other accountant is going to have that, right? It's going to grab your attention, but it really quickly like shows what she does. Like she takes all this hot mess, disorganized, you know, QuickBooks, whatever, and makes it really neat and clean and like, you know, makes the numbers spark joy, right? Like just, I love that phrase. And so as you're doing these interviews, you know, your customers may end up writing your headlines for you. As a former copywriter, I felt like headlines were always the hardest thing for me to write. But, you know, if you can find those, those vivid phrases, the places where your customers are saying exactly, you know, what it is that they want or why they found your work valuable, that's really helpful. I think another really great way to use customer research is in planning out a content strategy, you know, whether it's social media posts or, you know, email content. You know, a lot of times in these interviews, people will share questions that they had before they worked with you or like hesitations, things they weren't sure about. And you can turn those into some like educational content to kind of overcome some of those objections or hesitations before someone even gets on a sales call. And if you can address those ahead of time, like for example, I was working with a gardening coach consultant and she taught people how to start a gardening coaching business. And several people I chatted with are like, Hey, I live in the Rocky mountains. We can only grow things for a few months of the year. Can I really have a full-time business and make money doing this if I have a short growing season? And so since that came up quite a bit, we ended up not only putting it on the website FAQ page, but creating some really intentional content around it. And a client said it definitely helped her increase sales, you know, just not having that question in people's minds. Like, will this offer, will this program actually work for me? if I live in the Rocky Mountains and I can't grow things in the winter. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that is always, that makes for the best 
website content and just marketing content as well is if you can address those objections ahead of time, because the person one, they're like, oh my God, you read my mind. I was literally thinking just that, but then you continue on to hopefully in a good way, overcome that objection. So then they're like totally sold. Cause they're like, not only do I feel, you know, there's no like and trust factors building where you read my mind, but now I don't have any issues or fears anymore around this. And so the path is sort of cleared to move forward and work with them. Exactly. You know, and here's kind of an advanced interview tip as well. In that specific example, I asked this person, hey, if you were to go back in time and talk to someone else who's unsure if this program is for them because they live in the Rocky Mountains, how would you answer that question? Right. So then it's like your customer overcoming the objection for you of your future customers as well. So it just kind of all is like in your customer's head, reading their minds, and you're just turning those things into really great, effective copy. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love when everything just like comes together so nicely. That's so perfect. And so as we wrap up here, I always just like to ask all of my guests, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? You know, my business coach would often ask me, what would happen if you made this feel easy? Because I tend to be a perfectionist. I tend to overthink things. You know, I I tend to just kind of get hung up on the details. And I think that question was so freeing for me because I realized, you know, I don't have to spend 12 hours writing my email newsletter. You know, I can find a way to get it done in an hour and move on. And it may not be the deepest, most beautiful thing I've ever written, but it's accomplished its purpose because it's, you know, keeping me top of mind with people. It's a little touch in, you know, and that's, that's what I need for my particular business. You know, not, that may not be true for everybody. But I'm just always asking myself, like, okay, instead of getting stressed or worked up about this or overthinking it, how can I make this feel easy? What would that look like? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And so, Melissa, if people want to work with you, how can they get in touch with you? What are the different ways that they can work with you? Yeah. So, you know, if you're you're thinking like, I want to create a new offer, but I'm not exactly sure who's a great fit for it, or, you know, you're thinking... I don't know how to communicate the value of what I offer in a really compelling way that makes people say, oh my gosh, you're reading my mind. I have to have this. I have a customer insights package where I'll do these research interviews. I'll turn them into a really in-depth report that you can use to make business decisions, but also just turn them into great copy as well. And you can learn more about that on my website at melissaharstein.com. And I'd love to just set up a quick chat with you to learn more about, you know, what you're struggling with, what you're trying to learn, where your questions are and how we can work together. That op- opportunity to book a call with me, is also available on my website at melissaharstein.com. Perfect. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa. This was, this was literally amazing. I think this is one of the best episodes we've done. It's so important. Well, thank you, Isabel. I knew, I knew it was going to be fun when you, I saw your podcast title, mind read, mind reading marketing. I often tell people, you know, I'm, I'm a mind reader, but not the clairvoyant kind. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you again. Yes. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the mind reading marketing podcast with yours truly, Isabel Caitlin. If you love the show, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I love hearing from all of you. Share it with a friend, family, colleague, or anyone you know who may benefit from this episode. Remember, you can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at stripedogcreative.com. All right, that's it for today. See you next time.